there was myself and my now director of global brand strategy who was my first employee in two vans and we literally just went door to door and in the first two weeks we did a hundred stores listed and I got a call to say we're going to put you in national distribution because you've done the sales and this is going to be a big product. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. Often in life, you find your greatest success comes when you go back to your roots. This is the Architects of Business, Joe's weekly series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm Ty Genwright, and today I'll be speaking with Samuel Dennigan, whose winning idea, Strong Roots, has been staring him in the face since childhood. Having grown up in a family vegetable business, Samuel's taken that expertise and applied it to the next generation. I have uh, never completed a, a third level degree. I got my education in on the ground, hands on. The gap he saw in the market was to sell the kind of vegetables that hipsters love. Screw potatoes, kale and avocado, but frozen for freshness. We're bringing a consumer in that they didn't have before. From a health perspective, from a paleo perspective, from a vegan vegetarian one. And those people didn't have anywhere to shop in the frozen section before. It's been a short story. Strong Roots started just three years ago and today it's a market leader, not just here, but also in the UK. The most difficult thing about starting up and actually stepping out and do it is actually physically stepping out and doing it. I remember after doing it, everything worked. Today we'll hear Samuel's thoughts on quitting the family business and thinking big. So Samuel, thanks very much for coming into us. Um, Strong Roots is really such an apt name, isn't it? Because uh, I know you, you kind of grew up with a vegetable business all yeah. around you. Yeah, it, uh, it comes from three things. Um, we started off uh, with a completely different brand for the business and um, I'd actually started the project maybe three or four years before uh, we came around to ending up with Strong Roots and Strong Roots was a lot to do with my background uh, in the family business and uh, within agriculture in particular. Um, roots being the, the main constituent of what we do in our products, root vegetables and everything that's uh, grown has a root at some point and um, also around this idea of um, the move in health perspective being that uh, you know strong as the new skinny or um uh, you know, just a healthier lifestyle way of being. So once we, it was actually a tagline originally, and then as we developed out the brand and, and guidelines, we we settled on strong roots, and we've never looked back since. What, what was the old brand or the the old idea? The same as the trading company it was called Handy Food. Um, originally the originally the business was going to be a, a kids food uh, brand, um, which we're now actually revisiting uh, to see if we can play a part with uh, with strong roots. Um, handy food was supposed to be this link between um, weaning food for for uh, infants uh, and adult food, but without the loss of the texture. There was a lot of uh, products out in the market 
stage, which were doing non-fibrous, you know, pulps and purees and stuff full of sugar. And what I wanted to do is trying to fill the gap. And we started looking at that in 2008. It's a very different world to the one you've ended up in. I mean, look, we're trying to bring good food done in a simple way to the masses. So different vehicle, different brand, but uh, same ethos and same objective. So um, hopefully we can get back there sometime. Yeah. We'll come back to kind of drilling into where Strong Roots kind of wants to be in the market or where, it, where it's occupied in the market. Sure. But, you know, back when you were starting out, and, and most people do not grow up in a successful family business in the way yep. that, that you did. Um, you know, at the time, were you kind of excited in any way by, by what the opportunities that offer to you, the idea that there there's probably a ladder there that you could easily climb up? Sure. I mean... One thing that I don't take for granted is the incredible privilege that I was given uh, growing up in a successful family business and uh, growing up in an environment within family, both immediate and um, uh, relatives who were incredibly driven as entrepreneurs themselves, uh, which started with my grandfather who founded the family business, Sam Dennigan and Company, which I worked in for 10 years, um, servicing all parts of the business. So, you know, I had two mentors who happened to be the directors of the business uh, guiding me through you know a medium to large size company over 10 years for looking at every different part of it so I um, I have uh, never completed a, a third level degree I got my education in on the ground hands on and couldn't be better so the privilege both to have that and to experience it has been phenomenal Was there a, a particular trigger point along the way that kind of made you think do you know something I've I've got an, an idea here that I want to grow by myself yeah it was uh, it was it was um, procrastination and maybe a little bit of regret around not following the art and design route um, I'd say about four or five years into the business I started getting you know a niggle to uh, tell a story about what we were doing. So in the family business, it's very much you know a commoditized business, which is mostly price price driven, um, with a huge element of quality attached and consistency around fresh produce. You know, you've got short. Um, short uh, uh, shelf life some products and things like that so what I couldn't what I couldn't understand was was why Ireland couldn't compete on a bigger scale as an exporter especially within the industry and uh, all I could see in the UK and further afield was people with brands being able to market their brands and being able to talk about them tell a story about them doing advertisements which was all of the things that I got into uh, art and design for and when I realised that there was an opportunity for the family business to do that I started trying it and started trying it in house and started failing at loads of the things that we tried and it was at that point where I realized that the reason why it kept failing was because it wasn't the suitable industry category products to do it and that was the moment at which I realized this isn't going to work in this circumstance and and uh, then took another five years to, to figure <laughs> out how to do it. Um, so uh, Clearly you think branding is, is very important. Is it more important than product? 
No, no. Um, product is always the most important thing. Um, uh, with food in particular, I think it's taste um, of product is the most important thing. Uh, then quality, um, because um, while you can you can create a brand, you can convince people to pick something up off the shelf, but if you don't have positive experience with with that um, that product or 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 moment. You're not going to get a repeat customer and that's what you're trying to do you're trying to build a loyalty and build a customer base and if you believe and, and i certainly do uh, the board be a promise about irish food being world class and the best out there it sounds like you're also saying that we're not making the best branding decisions to complement it it's a really interesting uh, question and it's something that I've I've had a number of conversations about recently um i think that um you know the day of uh, leaning on brand Ireland for specific markets has gone. Um, I think Ireland plays a huge role in specific things, you know, in particular dairy, beef, you know, other industries where it is a seal of approval for chefs and consumers where they purchase it. But for other emerging categories, especially the area that we play in, it's less than relevant. And I think, um, you know, Brand Ireland is is hugely advantageous and we're looking at trying to become an Irish manufacturer as well as everything else because we want to be part of that story. But I think that the biggest lesson in this is it's not always... um, you know, you can't always paint everything with the one brush and it's about who your consumer is, what they want, not what's being said. So listen, back to the product, which as you say yourself, is the most um, Absolutely. the most important. You started out with frozen sweet potato fries, which right. I know myself, you kind of go out to look for it sometimes and, and, and you can't, can't find it. Um, where did that brainwave come from? Where, you know, what, what was the product that you felt? You know, why did you pick that product as the one to put you on the map? I was purchasing raw material for sweet potato fries because it was an emerging crop. I was actually doing a project for McCain's for um, McDonald's restaurants. We're thinking of doing a sweet potato fry launch and then they did one in Texas and it went unbelievably well and they realized there wouldn't be enough sweet potatoes in the world to to service the restaurants. And I was trying to get them to purchase uh, a more efficient supply chain route from the US, which they couldn't do for various different internal policies. So um, that coupled with doing a load of research, actually boards.ie as a platform was the place where people were talking about the fact that there was no sweet potato fries on the market. You could buy them. In in supermarkets, you mean? Yeah, you could buy them in Eddie Rockets, you could buy them in TGI Fridays, but you couldn't get them to bake them yourself in, Mm -hmm. in the home and people couldn't make them go crisp. So I was going, right, these guys can't. These guys can't uh, make them as a manufacturing product. These guys can't find them and they're looking for them in retail. And I know how to do it. And no one else is trying it at the moment. And it's an emerging trend. So um, Light bulb moment. I found a farmer. And the farmer uh, is still one of my major suppliers now. Decided that he wanted an outlet for his waste product off the line for, for the fresh market. So he had really small potatoes and he had really big sweet potatoes. And he couldn't use them because the supermarkets wanted perfect sized ones. So I said, look, 
if you make a sweet potato fry factory and you give me Europe as a as a distribution area, I'll sell all your sweet potato fries in Europe. And that's what we do. Wow. Yeah. Listen, as an aside there, you touch on a really interesting topic there, yeah. which is weird-shaped vegetables. Oh, yeah. Ugly, ugly veg. Ugly and veg. And veg. lots of people are talking about it now because, yeah. you know, food waste and there's that much hunger in the world anyway. Why are we throwing away oddly-shaped vegetables? How big of a problem do you think it is? It's a, it's a systematic problem which is going to be really hard to reverse. So if you take, for example, that initially... Um, now that people know that there is such a food waste problem and a potential massive food deficit after 2050 um, where we're going to have too many people and not enough food uh, specifically in the developing world we have um, the reason that we have standard uh, staple uh, specifications on veg in particular is because that at one point is what people wanted and everything else would be left to waste on the shelf because of the lack of education about the fact that it's perfect. Um, in Spain and France, for example, any of the producers that export veg into Ireland and the UK keep the third class or wonky veg for the home market because they are educated in the fact that it's perfect at a lower price and ship out the first class product to countries like Ireland and the UK which are really really so we're uh, the vegetable snobs we're the vegetable snobs now that all of the supermarkets all of the growers and all of the seed companies and everyone all the way down through the supply chain vertically integrated have built their businesses around doing the perfect courgette the perfect sliced potato great skin finish you know ready to eat basically after giving it a rinse under the tap uh, it's 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 been the business has been built on that basis so you're talking about going back to scratch to fix it and otherwise the wonky veg actually becomes uh, I suppose could become more more expensive to buy as a result of it being actually a specialised part of the of the supply chain bizarre economics free economics you might say listen yeah. I, I digress there I want to come back to when you actually started it by yourself so by now you'd demonstrated a love for, for branding and a passion for branding yeah. and you'd found your product um, what was that conversation then like with the family when you said I'm going to do something by myself um, it it was initially, uh, guys, I'm going to um, start my own business and I've been accepted into the food academy run by Burby and Super Value. And I want to do this as a parallel project to my existing job. Nothing's going to cross over, separate entity. Um, I feel that I want to do this so that I can approach all parts of the market without having any strings attached on the existing business model. Um, which was totally understood um, and a, a bit, you know, uh, conservative about how it was going to work. But uh, we all sat down, very open conversation and, you know, uh, ideas around the product and lots of great help. And then it got to the point at which you have to start marketing the fact that you're going to do this to the outside world. And because I was sales focused and looking after retailers and wholesalers and lots of other business, um, we had to have a very, very, you know, serious chat about the fact that it had to be one or the other um, because I couldn't wear two hats. 
I couldn't go into a retailer on a Monday and talk about fresh produce and fully concentrate and go into a retailer on a Tuesday and talk about my own business. So it was, it was a, it was a, there's a place for you here forever and stay. Or if you want to uh, pursue this, you'll have to go. So I decided to go and um, they're now a supplier and a supply chain provider and mentors and conciliaries. And um, it's actually been massively beneficial. It all sounds very, very friendly and very kind of pragmatic. Mm. I mean, was there any emotional element to it where you kind of felt like you were? Of course, of course. Yeah, I was third generation. Um, I think the, the the goal, especially for my dad, is to is to see it, you know, pass on. So um, I'm sure initially there was a bit of regret and sadness, etc. But they they also both know that they have developed a you know a secret entrepreneur over all of the training that they gave under the radar. So I don't think they were that surprised. Did you ever, did you ever wonder though? Could you have done it? You know, within under the roof of the same business. You know, it could be your your your, your project, mm-hmm. but still with all that kind of almost that that safety net that being part of an established business gives you. Yeah, definitely considered it. You know, uh, the wherewithal and the resources and the teams and the distribution network and everything that was there would have massively uh, helped uh, the scenario. But it's not within branding and uh, marketing and export is not within the business model. So for those reasons, it had to be done as a, as a separate product uh, in, in parallel. Okay. Fascinating stuff. Uh, Samuel Denigan, do stay with us because uh, still to come on the Architects of Business, I'll be asking Samuel about how the idea started to take shape and how he got his hands dirty putting the product on supermarket shelves. Stay with us. You're listening to the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Visit eoy.ie to find out more about the programme and this year's finalists. Get in touch. Mail us on the architects of business at joe.ie. So Samuel, how did you hit the ground running with this product? So um, I departed from the family business in April of 15 and spent uh, about six months developing the supply chain route for one product, one single SKU and, um, and the brand. Skew um, being a, an item that's going to end up in the supermarket a shelf. Keeping unit or yeah. a product, yeah. Um, so we um, we had gone through Food Academy and we had been given a an amount of stores. I think it was about twenty stores to start with, um, which wasn't enough. Uh, because the minimum order that I could buy was uh, a container load of product. Um, Factories in general around food don't really get out of bed for anything less than a container, especially if it's a new business, so that they can, you know, clean their hands of of, of it if it doesn't go to plan. So... um, I had convinced um, a farmer who owned a factory to make um, and buy the packaging and the products and um, charge me uh, CIF, which is carriage insurance and freight, all the way to the port of Dublin, which is quite unusual for um, a business that, you know, starting up normally you're, you're throwing much more cost on top. Um, we figured out what the supply routes were and then I went about trying to increase the distribution which was something that's not really done in Food Academy. They give you 20 stores because they want you to grow and learn and understand the business. Having been in the business for 10 years previously to that, I was I knew what to do. Yeah. I knew how to go about it. So um, basically I uh, I 
called the guy who looked after Super Value Food Academy and I said, look, this is going to be a big product for you. Um, and, and he believed in it too. And I said, 20, 20 stores isn't going to cut it. And he said, but you're going to have to play the game. So I said, look, I'm going to get 20 stores listed and trading in the first week. Then what can you give me? And he said, look, if you can get the 20 stores going and I can see the figures going through, we'll up it and try and double it or something like that. And I said, right, I need at least 50. And then I said, when I get 50 up and trading that you're happy with, what are you going to give me after that? So he said, I'll, I'll give you all of Leinster and we'll list you for all of Leinster within the Food Academy fixture, which was the first, sorry, the second frozen Food Academy product. So it was kind of out of the norm. And then, as you can imagine, the, the conversation kept getting bigger and bigger because I knew I needed national distribution yeah. across Super Value to make this work. Um, there's um, approximately 60 to 80,000 packs on a container and uh, I needed to sell all of those in 120 days because the stocking loan which is normally used for buying cars for garages that the bank gave me um, was uh, had to be paid in 120 days so you had to that first container had to sell within 120 days from the day it landed helpful the fact that it's frozen I guess <laughs> yeah no, it has it has a two year shelf life thankfully right. but um, uh, I I knew that I was going to need a really strong relationship with the bank going forward because we had scoped this to be a much, much bigger business. Um, so literally, you know, there was myself and my now director of global brand strategy, who was my first employee uh, in Dira, uh, in two vans. She couldn't drive, so we had to get a driver for her. I drove the other van and we literally just went door to door. Um, they, shop door to shop door. Shop door to shop door. And in the first two weeks, we did a hundred stores listed and we had a hundred different credit accounts that we had to deal with the paperwork for and we got the sales going and I got a call to say we're going to put you national distribution because you've done the sales and this is going to be a big product yeah. uh, so they believed in it and they took so it what in. kind of shop doors were you knocking on Every single super value in the Leinster area. Because, um, of course, a lot of them are privately owned. Oh, most super values are privately owned, aren't they? Yeah, it's a franchise. Correct, yeah. Um, we, we went to every single one. Uh, I was thrown out of a few. So we sent Indira into the same one that I was thrown <laughs> out of. Um, yeah, it was it was actually a great time. And it, that, that hands-on piece is something that, you know, I had taken from the family business growing up. You know, it was a very, very hands-on environment. And that's what you have to do. And was that approach essential or is this governed by the facts and, and talk to me a little bit more about uh, you know the, the, the finance that the bank gave you yeah, yeah. Uh, gave you enough money to buy this container load of stuff how much money are we talking about uh, let's say around uh, 80,000 80,000 euro yeah okay so you and that was the money you had and you spent it on chips sweet potato fries yep. and you had to, to, to flog it all within 120 days and that was what gave you what the money for to buy more yeah I went into the local branch of Bank of Ireland in Glasnevin and uh, met the bank manager or the business manager and uh, I had a business plan and I said look um, I have uh, a contract uh, this is the way it's going to go I need this amount of money this is what I need it for this is the way it's going to go and then after that I'm going to be coming back to you hopefully for another one and um, he said okay um, 
you know, uh, all of the usual things with the bank, you know, you're going to have to guarantee this and blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, I believe in it and I've been working very hard on the business model. And then, and then he said, um, I think uh, we should get yourself and your wife to come in uh, as well. So uh, Amelia came in and we both sat there and I think it was very much a, you know, this is not a normal circumstance. We have a product that will work, but let's make sure everyone is on board in this in this scenario. So Amelia came in and, uh, uh, you know, we we still talk about that whole that whole pitch to to the guy, which was kind of a, a rehash of what I'd done before with even more info. Is Amelia involved with the business? Very much so. Oh, okay, she's my uh, she's my partner in life. So she she's my conciliary every night. She's not directly as a, as an employee in the business, but okay. Uh, so so it's kind of shall we say uh, emotional support, as it were, uh, in, in the, the way rest, that any spouse of a um, of, yeah. of an entrepreneur is involved. Yeah, yeah. No, she's a she's a talented economist. She has her own wow. her own job, but uh, you know she's it's just fairly involved. Interesting to hear the bank manager kind of holding you both over the coals to make sure you're both committed Look, to it. I think the fact that she was. An economist for the Central Bank of Ireland made a huge difference. In no that doubt, scenario. no doubt. Um, so yeah, now we, we he gave us he gave us the loan. He wished us well, and um, by Christmas we were back on looking for a different financial product because we'd sold all the stock and we had three more containers on the way. Three more on the way at that stage, because yeah. of course once you've sated you know sated people's appetites as it were, or you know you know whetted their appetites, I should say. Mm -hmm. I guess the last thing you want is for the I, the, the product to disappear then from from the shelves. And that happened. It is. And that happened, yeah. Um, so we had uh, we had a phenomenal October, which is when we launched. Uh, Super Value let us kind of launch as a part of their uh, uh, display in the National Playing Championships. We were able to uh, give out samples of the products and people were going crazy for them. We couldn't keep them on the stand. And then we launched into the Super Value in October. We had an amazing October. We had like, you know, 400% growth in November. And then Christmas came, and in Christmas, uh, the only thing people are buying out of the frozen section are roast potatoes, uh, turkeys, and everything to do with the dinner table. So we pretty much went off sale in, at Christmas and had to start from scratch in January, building up all of the relationships. So what, it wasn't so much that you, you couldn't supply them, it was that they, they squeezed you out and said, we're not interested in you for Christmas. Pretty much. Uh, focus is elsewhere. Uh, until, to be fair, until um, Super Value decided to run as part of their ad campaign for Christmas featuring us. So then very quickly we had to go back out to stores and do full distribution across all of their stores as a result of being part of their, their national ad campaign. But uh, yeah, there was a couple of scary moments where you were climbing, climbing and then completely off sale altogether and then back in favour, mm. um, which happened a couple of times after that just as a result of how we how we started. It's clearly worked out for you though, nonetheless. Um and you were talking earlier about your, your background in, in art and design or your interest in it. You went and studied it for a while. Uh, how important a part of your success has that been, has basically been the packaging and the way you sell it? Um, internally, we put a huge amount of the success down to the aesthetic and the look of the pack. Um, we designed it. So first of all, the company is design-led. So whether it's from, you know, um, how we want people to view us from the outside to internal processes, to systems, to packaging, to the stage gate process of how we bring a new product around, we're design-obsessed. And um, that started before we even started trading. 
So the packaging was developed specifically to look like nothing else in the frozen section and therefore standing out in a relatively traditional legacy environment of uh, beige, as we call it. We wanted to be the the anti-beige product that went into the section. So the element of impulse that people picked up the product because it stood out was one of the major parts of our success and, and still people will be able to see it. And people increasingly uh, associate frozen food with kind of... Uh, cheapness or just just non-quality yeah um and yet you've kind of gone down this very you know relatively high-end path Mm -hmm. uh looking putting products on sale that really appeal to kind of like the hipster generation um is there any kind of uh, contradiction in terms there do you think hipsters want or, or obviously they do but were you worried that hipsters might not buy into frozen avocados and kale and quinoa burgers sure perception of frozen is massively changing when we started it was a it was a difficult sell uh, you're asking people to come into an aisle that they don't normally come into um, but what our advantage has been is that we're actually pulling people into a section that they don't normally come to so what a retailer is trying to achieve is category growth not cannibalization from putting one in and taking something else's sales we're bringing a consumer in that they didn't have before from a health perspective from a paleo perspective from a vegan vegetarian one Uh, and those people didn't have anywhere to shop in the frozen section before and now have a reason to come and that's been directed by our heavily influenced social media um, strategy which we've done from the start uh, as well as the you know the fan base that we've generated after doing things like tastings and food truck and various other vehicles that we have but um, to answer your point about you know the overall kind of perception of Frozen now, specifically in the US, it's a destination shop for health. You've got people like um, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, uh, who's investing in a company called uh, Daily Harvest, which is not dissimilar to ourselves, a health brand based around convenience um, uh, ingredient product and Frozen section, um, as well as uh, bigger players like Beyond Meat and um, some of the legacy brands now even trying to change their perspective on how they sell in Frozen. So it's changing for the better. I mean, you, you mentioned there Beyond Meat uh, and all your products are, are plant-based. Um, it's not to say they're you know just for vegetarians. You can obviously have your sweet potato fries inside it's of a steak. Important, yeah. But I mean, how, how important, you know, how much are you trying to appeal to that uh, vegetarian and vegan market? How much of, of, of your product do you want to be the meal or the accompaniment? The, the vegan and vegetarian uh, side of our business is definitely smaller than the mainstay uh, side of the business. Uh, we are a plant-based offering and we are leaning much more into the environmental responsibility element of that plant-based piece because that's what the consumer is asking us for. We're inundated with suggestions, calls, personal handwritten letters to talk about things like um, sustainable and, and compostable and recyclable packaging, uh, you know, ethically sourcing of ingredients, which we already have, but they want it called out and they want us to be part of the movement. So we're answering them and we're saying we're getting very, very firmly on board in the future um, because the moderate moderation of the consumption of animals and meat is a positive for the environment. We eat meat. 
we are not in a circumstance where we're saying that this is bad, but there is so much proof and, and fact out there about and and, and, fl- and flexitarianism is is coming into vogue as well with people yeah. not so much giving up meat but just cutting down on their meat for health reasons as well as the environment i'm not a medical professional i can't speak specifically about the the, the health reason piece but you know um flexitarianism is something that's gr- driving our growth in sales people are eating plant-based diet during the week and they're having an indulgence with meat at the weekend um lots of people are non-dairy now and, and the growth in, you know, non-dairy alternatives based on nuts and, and oats and other things are in huge growth. The consumer is asking for these things. Um, so that's what drives our growth is listening to the consumer and giving them what they're looking for. So you've demonstrated, I suppose, an ability to adapt very quickly to what consumers want. And in fact, you know, your whole uh, reason for being is giving consumers something that they weren't being given, that Absolutely. they wanted and weren't being given before. Absolutely. Um, the bigger you get, uh, does responding to those uh, emerging trends become more difficult? Yes. Um, the bigger we get, the less agile, um, uh, the more uh, challenging agility is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, uh, of, of Steve Jobs, and he has this great interview about um, uh, we're still a startup. No, no matter what size we are and the way we view it internally is, is that we, we need to keep the ethos and maintain status as a challenger brand so that we don't slip into uh, this kind of constant routine of changing packaging as opposed to innovating products last year we developed uh, the first in the first year we developed one product in the second year we developed three extra products last year we developed five extra products and in the next 12 months we're going to bring out about five or six new products uh, some will work some will not work but the point is is that we're continuing to challenge the market on what the new staple can be what are the new products coming down the line oh i can't tell you that i'll yet. go on give us a clue we're going to stick with a lot of the on-trend vegetables so you're going to see uh, a lot more use of cauliflower from us uh, you're going to see a new category outside of frozen for us um and uh we're, we're we have a we have a great head of product that we hired in the last six months and she's um working away in a in a Willy wonka chocolate factory type way to develop you know what's next for us for the next two and three years it, lots going on yeah I mean it does sound like it. I, I love roasted cauliflower it's very much a you know something a chase after these days um, you were mentioning there though that, that this kind of culture constant culture of being a disruptor and mm-hmm. uh, always being the challenger I mean it's something you see in companies like Facebook as well where they think that they are constantly a, a challenger or a disruptor although of course as we all know they have a stranglehold on the social media market is there ever a danger that trying to maintain a culture like that, even when you do become pretty big, is just BS? Um, I think I think the answer to your question is is the proof of what has come before, um, which is um, you know big uh, consumer packaged goods companies acquire smaller companies in order to not have to understand trends and invest millions in new product development. That has been the purpose for smaller food companies for the last five to ten years and food investment has become you know closer to tech in the last two and three years uh, to a huge scale especially in the USA. I think um, what we do 
is very unique and what we're trying to do is change a market versus exist in in one that's already there what i set out to do and what the company uh, is trying to do is become a destination shop within frozen at the moment as a green grocer in a different part of the store you can come you can have a whole meal but you can also be what we want is the consumer to be the hero so if you you know take a we use this we use this uh, anecdote about Sir Edmund Hillary and uh, Sherpa Tanzing uh, Tanzing um you know better than me and um basically you know we're the sherpa we're making sure that you get there but by preparing the meals 75% of the way to, for you to actually create the meal yourself so whether you're sweet potato fries are on the side or whether you're using a kale and quinoa burger as a filling you're making it we're just assisting and that's what the ethos is so if if we become a McCain's or a, or a, you know another legacy brand we've failed and, um, but listen I have to ask you because you brought it up yourself you talk about the big giants going around and innovating by buying smaller companies mm. um, you know is that something that could happen to Strong Roots someday is a McCain or a Bird's Eye or whoever uh, you know would you be open to an offer like that or even working with them if it meant spreading your distribution further yeah I mean I've been very open about this in the past it's about strategic partnership for me so what I'm looking to do is grow the brand to its full extent and we're trying to grow a global brand um, if I have a network and a vehicle like one of the bigger companies to do that with in assistance yes of course I'm not naive and I'm also in business so you know being realistic about moving into bigger markets with bigger supply chain issues and bigger marketing budgets and not only do we want to do it but we'll need to do it to get to where we want to go listen what have been the low points there must have been some yeah i mean um uh i think there is uh there's a lot involved in a high growth concentrated entrepreneurial journey uh, over I mean we've been doing this for three years just about three years just less than three years um, so the, the concentration in uh, building a business and team um, in two different countries uh, you know is, it's, it's strenuous and um, it's not easy and while from the outside uh, these things look, um, you know, uh, quite sexy and and interesting, especially from a business perspective. It's super hard work, and you really have to make sure that you keep a, a balanced lifestyle um, from a uh, work and personal time perspective, which is so easy to lose sight of, especially when you're in the thick of it. Where can you go to or who can you ask for, for help or advice when, you know, the big challenges arise? Uh, my dad um, has been my unofficial conciliary since the start of the business. Um, I share everything with him and uh, he helps me along the way of what to do, what not to do. And um, uh, that's been unbelievably helpful. I also have some, you know, very, very accomplished uh, senior business people who've done this journey two and three times that I reach out to on a regular basis uh, for mentorship. 
um, specifically as a kind of an unofficial advisory board. Are they are they other entrepreneurs of the year? Um, some of them have been actually uh, a number of them, and um, that's been you know even more valuable network. Uh, at my time of entrepreneur of the year, I was very much the youngest person in the in the room, and as a result, uh, people both put the arm around you to make sure that you have what you need, as well as uh, 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 have the phone lines open for whenever you want so that community is, is is incredibly useful what have you been able to give back to that community i mean in, in, it's only been a few years i suppose have you had the opportunity yet or do you look forward to doing so to the entrepreneur community in particular i try to do as much mentorship for early stage uh, food businesses as possible um on a saturday morning i always leave an hour free in the diary for anyone who wants to call to talk about all of the things that we've just talked about in startup um early state food food business and the decisions that you make is usually the making of the business and a lot of people do things because they don't know early on that they shouldn't do or that they just haven't been advised against so I do that as much as possible anyone who reaches out to me I try and, and give as much help what, as what's possible. the most common question that they have the most common question is always about um, how do you get it into X amount of stores? <laughs> and usually the answer is uh, around manufacturing and scaling up manufacturing. And it was interesting. I was listening to um, one of your other guests, Michael Carey's interview, and he made a, an incredibly lucid and great point about food at scale. Going into the food business uh, has two roots. One is food at scale and one is for foodies. And if you plan for food at scale, you have to do one route, which is very much what our business model was based on. But if you're doing this as a as a passion project and as a an investigation into where you might want to go in the future, then don't expect an outcome that isn't uh, anything but that and then go back to the drawing board and go okay if we want to be in loads of supermarkets and loads of countries how do we do food at scale so I thought that was that was a really good um, uh, reference point that I've actually used in house and li listen if you want to leave us with your kind of one or even top two golden rules for starting your own business and succeeding hmm. what would they be plan twice do once um I'm a I'm I'm a very impulsive person that likes to just jump into things and and try it out and fail fast and and uh, and then try again. But over the years, I've I've realised that having known what the outcome of that was going to be, you get a bit more mature about strategically planning all of the potential outcomes. And then the most difficult thing about starting up and actually stepping out and do it is actually physically stepping out and doing it. Um, I remember after doing it everything worked but the procrastination and the anxiety and the turmoil that you go through in that period between I have the safety net of my family business mm. but I see the opportunity over here that that was the worst part everything else was unbelievable fun so plan twice do once as well as the old Irish adage to be sure to be sure exactly, exactly. <laughs> Samuel Dennigan thank you very much pleasure thanks lovely for to have me. met you Thanks for joining us today on The Architects of Business. Thanks to our guest, Samuel Dennigan, our producer, Patrick Hohey, and all of the team here at Joe. Our programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Go to eoy.ie.
ly.ie to learn more about the finalists for this year. And don't forget, you don't have to miss out on past or indeed future editions of The Architects of Business by subscribing for free on iTunes, on your favourite Android podcast app, or you can watch the show on YouTube. While you're at it, check out some of Joe's other podcasts too, including the GAA Hour and our movie show, The Big Review Ski. I'm Ty Genrice. Thank you so much for being with me today, and I hope to see you again soon. Bye-bye. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland.